I'm going to open with the reading of the passage that we're speaking about this morning. It's in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labour pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you were doing. I'm just going to pray. Dear Lord, um, thank you for this morning, for the opportunity to share your word. Um, I pray that your truth will be proclaimed and glory will be given to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry, I've just got to adjust this a bit. <laughs> All right, good morning, church. It's good to see you. I haven't, uh, haven't seen you from this uh, view before, so um, bear with me as I uh, take on this challenge. Um, so we're going to be yeah, speaking from First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. I'll give you... Um, a little intro to the letter. I won't go into too much detail as Johnny did a pretty good job last, or well, two weeks ago when he gave his message on First Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. Uh, things that we know about is Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica around the year 51 AD. He's writing after hearing uh, Timothy's encouraging report upon turning, returning to him in Corinth. The new converts faced continued persecution but had tremendous faithfulness and hunger to learn more regarding the nature of the gospel and in particular the return of Christ. So we know the intent of the letter in full, let's begin. The age-old question many believers wish to know, when will Christ return? It seems that it has been a question on the minds of Christians since the very beginning of the church. Here below are a list of dates that people have taken upon themselves to predict Christ's return. 500 AD, 793 AD, 1000 AD, 1260, 1370, 1504, 1524 and so on right up until recent history with 2012, the 28th of September 2015, the 22nd of July 2020, with predictions still made into the future, including one by Isaac Newton for the year 2060. 
People can make as many predictions as they like, but the Lord has not told us when Christ will return. Now, the better question to ask, and the one I believe Paul is pointing to us here, is in, in this passage is, how should Christians prepare for the return of Christ? This summary of the passage and breakdown of the points I borrowed from one of the commentaries when researching uh, this passage. I found it helpful in breaking the passage down and making it clear for you, the listener, to follow along. Let me give you the breakdown of the passage, then we can go through the passage and examine each section more closely. The passage has been broken into four sections with the main overarching point being how should Christians prepare for Christ's return or for the return of Christ. Point one, Christ's return will catch people unaware. This is in verses one to two. Point number two, for some people, Christ's return will mean destruction. This is verse three. Point number three, Christ's return means salvation for those equipped in faith, love and hope. This is seen in verses four to ten. Point number four, mutual encouragement in these truths. This is verse 11. So we'll begin with the first point. Christ's return will catch people unaware. Verses 1 to 2. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. The times and seasons we see here refers back to the chapter beforehand and the signs that are to happen before the coming of the Lord, which is explained through chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Why does Paul say they don't need to have anything written to them? This may be an indication that this has been taught to them when Paul was with the church at Thessalonica, teaching them about all things of the faith. Though we, are, we also see the resurrected Jesus use similar language when he was speaking to the apostles in the beginning of the book of Acts, which says, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 7. Sorry, gone too far, just getting used to the pointer. Um, now concerning... Oh. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So also, on the other hand, it could be because they don't need to know as it's not for them to know. But the Father God, which he has set in place in eternity past. We can take from this verse that it is not for us to know the times or seasons alluding to the coming of Christ, but we'll see further in the message the things we should be concerned about setting our attention on. Now let's look at verse 2. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. They are fully aware, or is implied, that they have been made fully aware through what they have been taught when Paul was with them in person. The day of the Lord. What is, it, what is the meaning behind this phrase? 
Where else in Scripture do we see it used? The phrase is seen throughout the Old Testament and it has been used to communicate a sense of imminence of the judgment of God that is to come upon the people but also the far fulfilment of future events. This is also seen in many Old Testament prophecies. We also see of the historical judgments which have already taken place. Here are a few examples we see of the phrase being used in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 13 verse 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near, as destruction for the Almighty it will come. Ezekiel chapter 30 verse 3. For the day is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. Joel chapter 1 verse 15. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction for the Almighty it comes. The day of the Lord in these passages shows God's mighty wrath in history at the same time pointing forward to the final point in history, Christ's return. The Apostle Peter points to this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, that this won't be one of many comings in history, but will be the climactic event to end all history. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Seeing as though the day of the Lord is inevitable, what will the day of the Lord's coming be like? The second part of verse 2 says, Like a thief in the night, also, also seen above in Peter's letter. What, so what does a... What does a thief in the night come like, you ask? They come under the cover of darkness. They come when they believe the homeowner is least expecting. Um, They come when people are asleep. No thief intends on being caught. So they try and use all the means that they have to hide themselves from the possibility of being caught. Jesus himself uses similar imagery in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. By this phrase, I believe we're seeing Paul imitate Jesus' own teaching to point out that the master of the house, if he had known, he would have been prepared And Paul is saying that the day of the Lord comes like that thief in the night, hidden from the knowledge of the homeowner, or in this case, the knowledge of the Thessalonians. Please don't think I'm saying Jesus is the thief in the night, but more so, his return will be like one of a thief. It will be far better for the believing homeowner to have Jesus come in the night than for a thief. So how do we apply this to our lives today? Well, we all 
we have also been given God's revealed word, God's revealed word uh, in that. Um, and so in that we've also been made fully aware of the imminence of Christ's return, but have not been given an exact time or date. So if we know that he will be returning, we should be ready in anticipation of this. So we're not like the ones which will be caught off guard. So quick summary of this first point. Christ's return will catch people off guard and the Thessalonians have been made aware, as have we. We have been given the signs that point to the return, but not the timing or the event itself. Now Paul goes on to explain what Christ's return will be like for some. Point number two, Christ's return brings destruction for some. Verse three. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labour pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. Before the day of the Lord, there will be a false sense of peace and security. I say this because the passage states, then sudden destruction will come upon them. The people promoting that there is peace and security are more than likely ignorant to the fact that they are living contrary to God's word and have long rejected his truth, revealed in scripture and creation. The imagery of a thief in the night also illustrates the breaking into a place of peace and security like a home. We see Paul use the analogy of sudden destruction as labour pains come upon a pregnant woman. Labour pains are used in other eschatological passages like Matthew chapter 24 verse 8, Mark chapter 13 verse 8, John chapter 16 verse 21 and Romans chapter 8 verse 22. The labour pains are set apart from the joy that birth brings. This follows the theme of its use throughout the Old Testament. So what should our response be to this verse and how should we apply it today? We should uh, withhold our trust in men or things of this world which are destined for destruction. Our peace and security are found in Christ. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We should be aware of those that are claiming a false peace and security in things that can be destroyed. Test everything against Scripture as it's our only certain rule of faith and obedience. In summary, there will be certain destruction for those who don't trust in Christ. This is the destruction of some. What is in store for those not destined for destruction? Let's see in our next point what Paul is trying to teach. Christ's return means salvation for those equipped in faith, love and hope. See this throughout verses 4 to 10. Verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Paul states that the church of Thessalonica won't be taken by surprise as they are not in the darkness. 
What is it that Paul is referring to here as darkness? The darkness Paul is referring to here is those outside of Christ. They are said to be in the darkness as they don't have the light of Christ in them. We'll dive into this more in the following verse. Verse 5. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. What is the biblical significance of being children of the light as opposed to the night and the darkness? And where else do we see in this kind of distinction in the Bible? We can find a few examples in the New Testament of which may help us determine what is meant by light-darkness analogy. In John chapter 8, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of the light. What we see here is that Jesus is the light of the world. If you are following Christ, his light will outshine any darkness. Darkness cannot overcome light. That's why I believe that this analogy has been chosen. We see Paul now include himself in with the Thessalonians in the use of the collective term we. We are not of the night or the darkness. He continues with this collective term us in the next verse, verse 6. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. We see the passage takes a turn here with the use of the word let us. Paul has been instructing what we should do. He's made a change from the indicative to the imperative. So let's look at what believers ought to do. We all know that we need, to, we need sleep to function. So surely Paul isn't asking everyone to stay awake indefinitely. What is Paul then trying to communicate here with, when he's using this language? He's communicating that when one sleeps, he isn't aware of things happening around him. As in, he may not be aware that, of a thief that's entered his house. Also sleeping happens in the night or darkness, which we are called out of and into the light or day. We see that they are also called they are also called to be sober. This isn't calling for sobriety like other places Paul calls for these in Galatians chapter five, verse twenty-one, Ephesians chapter five, verse eighteen, and Titus chapter one, verse seven. But further emphasizes the need to be alert and awake, not asleep and drunk to the possible thief in the night. So we'll read verse 7. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, are drunk at night. This seems like a pretty obvious statement about sleep. So how do we apply this in the context of our lives here and now? 
This is just an application of the passage before. It's stating the reason we're not to sleep or be drunk as these are all activities of the night. So who does this apply to? We want to strive to be children of the light and day who are awake and sober and ready for the thief. We can't do this through our own strength, but only through Christ who is our strength. And we can find comfort in knowing this. Paul now affirms the belonging to the day in the next verse. Verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Again, Paul includes himself in with the Thessalonians here. But since we... He has chosen to come alongside to encourage them in this area, stating that they are to be sober as opposed to have the side effects of drunkenness and to put on armour of faith, love and hope of salvation. This, the imagery of armour follows God's heavenly armour um, in Isaiah 50, chapter 59, verse 17, which was read out in the New Testament, the Old Testament reading this morning. Now, Paul here applies the armour of God and expands it to equip the saints. We shouldn't get caught up in which piece of Roman military equipment is matched with which attribute as Paul changes these between this passage and Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, where the breastplate is referred to as the breastplate of righteousness directly corresponding to the passage in Isaiah. We should find Paul's main point is that faith, love and hope are armour that the believer can use to prepare for the spiritual battle. So with faith, love, we have the hope. So with faith and love, we have the hope of salvation. How do we see the hope of salvation fulfilled? Let's Let's have a look at the next two verses, verse 9 and 10. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. God has not destined us for wrath. Paul again speaking in the collective term. We can't escape the fact that God's wrath is just and all sin leads to death. This is seen in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wrath of God is held back from the one who has obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. How is the salvation obtained? Salvation is obtained through the death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you as the first importance, what I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. It is in this it is in belief of these truths we are called to repent and be baptized at Acts two, verse thirty eight, as a sign that we now belong to Christ. Verse 10 talks about whether we are awake or asleep, that we might live with him. The use of asleep is different to that in the pre- previous verses. This is referring to the saints that have already passed before the return of Christ. Awake is referring to those who are alive in Christ this present day. It is likely referring to Paul's teaching on the coming of the Lord in the previous chapter, chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Will we live with him? Again, this verse points to the eschatological teaching in chapter 4 about those already dead in Christ and currently alive in Christ. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 16 to 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The day of the Lord brings about celebration for those who are children of the light, those who are awake and not of darkness, those who are sober and alert to the possible coming of a thief in the night. Christ's return means salvation for those equipped in faith, love and hope. We await eagerly the return of Christ and we prepare by being awake, sober and by equipping the armour of God. Let's now look at the final point being made in this passage. Mutual encouragement in these truths. Verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Therefore, being the conclusion of what's been stated in the previous 10 verses, the Thessalonians are spurred on to continue, encouraging one another in truth about the salvation to come in the return of Christ. The day of the Lord when the wicked will be judged and the ones in Christ, the Thessalonians, will be saved from the wrath of God. What are the practical ways we, the church here, can be encouraging one another? We should encourage each other in reading God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, and Romans chapter 15, verse 4. We also should regularly meet together, as the author of Hebrews states. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near.
The New Testament has an abundance of passages referring to the encouragement and building up of one another in the faith. We could go on listing verse after verse, but we won't this morning. I want to encourage you that the central part of this building up be done through love and faith in Jesus Christ. So we're back full circle to how should Christians prepare for the return of Christ. We are to leave the exact timing of Christ's return up to God. We aren't to follow the rumours and dates and events. We are to observe and be awake to them, but not put all our hope that these are the signs of the end times. Those who are awake or those who are aware and awake won't be caught off guard. We are to reject false peace and security in things of this world and put our trust in Christ. Those that don't will not escape the wrath of the judgment to come and when Christ appears again. You may be discouraged by things happening in the world, but Christ has set himself in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ, we have no business in trusting anyone else for our peace and security. We are to have faith, love and hope. We have assurance in Christ's salvation through his death, burial and resurrection. And we, have to, and we can be confident that on his return we'll be raised up with Christ and be with him forever. This is the hope we have in the culmination of history. We will enjoy God forever in eternity. So as we continue to live out our lives faithfully, we are to build one another up in hope that is in the hope that is to come. We are to continue to be faithful where God has put us in this point in history. Many things can get you down, but we have a reason to be joyful. We aren't called to a faith of pessimism. We have a king who sits at the right hand of the Father and will defeat all enemies with the last enemy to be defeated being death. This should spur us on to live lives of courage and hope, no matter the circumstances we find ourselves in. We have an optimistic hope for the future when we're reunited with our heavenly Saviour on the last day. Amen. Thank you, church. I'll just close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you again for um, being able to share your word. I pray that uh, hearts were softened, could hear your truth and that your gospel went out, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.